Genesis chapter 19. I'll read the whole chapter. So that's all 38 verses. So give your attention as I read God's word tonight. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Hear now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked them unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please, let me bring them out to you, that you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back! And they said, This one came to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot, and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands, and pulled Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up and get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life! Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please, know, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar, 
Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. What a pleasant story. I would say, uh, well, you might catch something like this on <laughs> certain television networks nowadays. Apparently, this would not be, this wouldn't be racy enough, I don't think. Oh, man, what a, what a story. What a story. I think, if anything, I mean, you... I don't know, I mean, really, it's like this, this is just a, 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 a perfect testament to the sinfulness of man in this story, uh, the wickedness of man. I mean, all around, <laughs> uh, from Lot to his wife to his daughters to the men of Sodom, and the only hero in the story is God and the two angels. Abraham, of course, makes a, a brief appearance. Uh, very sordid, very sordid uh, story here. Very sordid narrative, I should say. Um, real brief, last time. Uh, really, if you look at chapter 18, which is what we looked at last time, 18 and 19 could go together because at least the second half of 18, because the second half of 18 is where you have Abraham pleading with the Lord in a theophany. Uh, the Lord appears in a, in a human form, not an incarnation. That happened only once, and that was with Jesus. But in human form, uh, he speaks with the Lord, and he intercedes for the cities of the plain, Sodom, Gomorrah, and there's three other cities. Zoar's one of them. Um, they're, they're listed in another passage, and I don't have them 
off the top of my head. Uh, but these cities of the plain, these are the cities that, if you remember back in Genesis 13, when Abram and Lot were... Uh, their, their flocks were growing and they were in the promised land and their herdsmen began to argue with one another. Uh, Abram called Lot together and said, let there be peace between you and me. Let there be peace between your herdsmen and my herdsmen and let's, let's split. He says, look over there. There's a nice fertile plain over there and then there's the, you know, the, the land that the Lord has called me to. And then, he, and then even though Abram could sort of pull rank, what he does is he gives Lot the choice and says, Lot, my nephew, you pick. And of course, Lot, looking with his eyes, saw that the plain was well watered. It looked like the Garden of Eden. And he says, I'll pick that place. You know, I was like, because why wouldn't you pick that place? So he picks the fertile plain and he goes there and then uh, Abram stays in the promised land and then the Lord blesses him again and reiterates the promise, so on and so forth. And then, of course, in chapter 14, you have the battles with the kings and, and they come down and these, these uh, eastern kings come and they sweep through and they conquer the cities of the plain and they capture Lot. And then Abram goes and he rescues Lot. Well, now it's, you know, some decades later, and Abram is now Abraham, and he's uh, in the promised land. He was, the, covenant, the, the Lord has made his covenant with him. The Lord has given him the sign of the covenant of circumcision. He's made, again, a promise that he would have many, many children. And then he comes and visits him. He visits him in a human form with two angels at his side. And when he comes, uh, Abraham shows him hospitality, and the Lord then starts to reiterate the promise yet again. He puts an actual date on it. He says, uh, in the time of life, in other words, in nine months, your wife, Sarah, shall bear a child. And then you have the incident, the last half of chapter 18, where uh, Abraham intercedes again for the cities of the plain because Lot is there. He knows Lot, his nephew, is there. And he knows that the Lord is going to send these angels to go and destroy the cities. And, and on the basis of Abraham's knowledge of God's justice, you see that in chapter 18, verse 25, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham's um, discussion, his interceding with the Lord is based on his knowledge that the Lord will do what is right. The Lord is a just judge and will not uh, slay the wicked or the righteous with the wicked. So he, he negotiates. He says, how about if there's 50 there? How about if there's 45? And, and each time the Lord says, if, I can, if you could find 50 in there, I'll spare the city. 45, 30. If you could find 10, says, I will spare the city for the sake of 10. That's how gracious the Lord is. Of course, the Lord knew he wasn't gonna, you weren't going to find 10. You weren't going to find one, really, is the only one. Right? There was one. And, he, you know, yeah, righteous, but by his actions, yeah, yeah. we'll get into that. <laughs> Exactly. So that's the last chapter. The Lord visits Abraham, uh, promises the child, and then Abraham intercedes. So now what we're going to look at is the second half, really, as the angels now come to uh, the city. Now Sodom plays the primary role here, but it's Sodom and Gomorrah, and really it's, five, it's three other cities as well that are in this area that all get uh, destroyed, except for Zoar. 
the, the city of Zoaire is spared because <laughs> Lot uh, asked for that. But you're going to see Sodom's sin. That's verses 1 through 11. You're going to see Sodom's fate, verses 12 through 29, and then Sodom's uh, aftermath, uh, verses 30 to 38. That's what we're going to look at tonight. And, and the theme really for tonight is that the Lord brings judgment on the wicked, but saves righteous lot. I'm putting righteous in the scare quotes here. He saves righteous lot. Well, first let's look at Sodom's sin in verses 1 through 11. Our chapter begins where chapter 18 left off. Uh, in verse 22 of chapter 18, you see the two men. They turn away from where they're at with Abraham, and they move towards Sodom. And then it says that Abraham stood before the Lord. So Abraham's in that intercessory position before the Lord. But uh, the, you know, the two men come down. They came down, and you see in verse 2, uh, they, uh, they came down with the Lord in verse uh, 16. Uh, the men rose, and they looked towards Sodom. And then in 22, the two angels move on their way towards Sodom. So here we see, though, in verse 1, that they're, they're actually identified as angels. Now the two angels came to Sodom. Now, like the word in Greek for angel, angelos, it means angel, like the spiritual being, uh, the, the heavenly attendants, the heavenly servants. It can also mean messenger. An angelos is a, men a messenger. And here the same, the, the, in Hebrew, the word for angel here, malach, has the same kind of meaning. It means angel and it means messenger, but it's clear that we're talking about the spiritual beings, these two angels. So they come up to Sodom. It's nighttime. And we see Lot sitting at the gate. Now we've mentioned this before. We mentioned this before. Uh, when Lot goes to the area of the plain back in chapter 13, we, we saw that he pitched his tents outside of the city. Then when we saw in chapter 14, when he is, uh, he's dwelling in the city. Now here we see in chapter 19 that he is at the city gate. He is sitting in the gate of Sodom. And uh, I've mentioned this before too, that, that idea of sitting at the city gates means that Lot has somehow... Uh, worked his way into society there in Sodom and the culture that he is in a position of authority because it was at the city gates that all of the important business took place. Uh, if you remember the story in Ruth uh, when Boaz is about to uh, make his pitch to the other redeemer and he's about to make the, the negotiation for, for Ruth, where does all that negotiation happen? It happens at the city gates where the elders of the city were and all the business, all the adjudication was done by the city elders at the city gates. So here is Lot sitting at the gate of the city. So you see his progression as he moves further and further away from Abraham and the land of promise and the sphere of blessing with Abraham. He moves more and more into the sphere of sin and wickedness. He is outside of the city. He is living in the city. Now he's in a position of authority uh, in the city. He's getting closer and closer to sin. I like the way Psalm 1 puts it. Psalm 1 talks about 
the difference between the righteous and the wicked, or the blessed man and the one who is not blessed. And in Psalm 1, you see, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So you see, again, there's that progression from walking to standing to sitting, right? You know, it's a progression of I'm passing by. No, now I'm stopping and I'm taking a look. No, now I'm actually sitting down and dwelling uh, with the wicked here. So the blessed man is one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. He doesn't see, sit in the seat of the scornful. So here we see uh, Lot is not heeding the words of Psalm 1. Now, as Abraham had done earlier in the first few verses of chapter 18, when the three visitors came, we see Lot uh, doing a, something similar here as he uh, goes out of his way to show hospitality, right? He meets them. He bows himself toward them. He's got his face toward the ground. And he says to the two men, turn in to my house, spend the night, wash your feet, rise and go on your way. So he's showing hospitality. So at least he's got that part right. Okay? So that's like one, one thing he's done that's good here so far. He, he is, he's got this hospitality thing down pat. But then you've got this interesting phrase where the men said, no, we will spend the night in the open square. Now I'm reading through that. The first time I read through this, I'm thinking, that's an interesting, why, why would the angels do that? Why would the angels do that? Part of me thought, is this a test? Are they testing Lot to see what he would do? I think what they were trying to do is they came to see the sin of the city. And so they figured, well, let's go to the center of the city and see the sin of the city. We will go in the city and spend the night there. Now, Lot knows, like, you don't want to be in this place after dark, <laughs> right? That's like me when I grew up in Chicago. There's certain places you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there during the day. It's like, much less in the at night. Well, Lot is like, it's like he's going to the men. It's like, have you have you seen this city? Do you know where, what you're saying? It's like, do you know how wicked the city? No, no, no. Don't do that. That's why it says in verse three, he insisted strongly. The word there is the same word. It means to press. He presses upon them. It's the same word that you see in verse nine when the wicked men begin to press against Lot. So he says, no, please, come in. And he made him a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So he insists, he persuades them to come in. And then in verse 4, now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, old and young, all people from every quarter, so the entire city, Okay, all the men of the city, young, old, doesn't matter if they're from, you know, downtown or uptown or the south side or the north side or the east side or the west side, they all come and they all surround the house of Lot. I mean, I don't know how big or small this town is, but apparently, you know, it was news when the visitors came because everybody knew, right? You know, it's like everybody knows what's going on here. So they, they all knew that these strange men came in, these new men, and they begin to surround the house of Lot and they call out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And then in the New King James in italics, carnally. 
Now again, New King James does us a great service when they put words in italics because it lets you know that they know that this word is not in the original Hebrew. It's a word that they add to help bring out the meaning of what's going on here. Now this is just an aside. Anybody here see the movie Omega Man with Charlton Heston? Okay, only one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody here see the movie I Am Legend with uh, Will, Will Smith? It's a, it's a remake of uh, Omega. Anyway, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an indicate it's a story about the last man on earth and these uh, monstrous people. They kind of, uh, they kind of come out and, and surround uh, the, the man. It's kind of like this here. These people, they come and they're, ah, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out. Now, okay, as I said, New King James adds the word carnally. If you have an NIV, a New Living Translation, a Christian Standard Bible, they actually say, have sex with them. If you have a New American Standard, it says, have relations with them. So now we come down to, really, what is the crux of the matter? Because the idea of the question behind what is the sin of Sodom has caused debate within the last 20, 30, 40 years or so. Okay, let me, I'll spill, you know, let me spoil the end of the story here for you. It's not been an issue for most of the history of the interpretation of this passage. It is only since we have had sort of this breaking down of the tolerance of the LGBT lifestyle, and you have sympathizers out here who try to redefine what the sin of Sodom is. So the traditional view, the view that the New King James obviously understands when they throw the word carnally in there, the view that other translations also understand when they just kind of say have sex with them, the traditional view is that Sodom's sin is sexual immorality of the homosexual variety. In fact, we have a word that talks about this. It's, they wanted to sodomize them. Okay? The name of the city has sort of become identified with the sin. They wanted to sodomize the angelic men. Now, t uh, if you will, turn all the way in the back of your Bible, not quite to the book of Revelation, the little book of Jude, which, if you're not careful, you'll skip right past. But it's right before the book of Revelation. So it's, you have 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, then Revelation. And like I said, it's only one chapter, so it's, you might skip right past it if you're not careful. The author here, Jude, is a brother of Jesus. It says brother of James, but James was a brother of Jesus, so Jude is a brother of Jesus. Half-brother, of course, not, not a full brother. Um, he writes this. Now, Jude wanted to write about the faith once for all delivered to the saints, at least originally. And then he's like, I really wanted to write about our common faith, but... I really got to write about something that's on my heart. So he talks about how certain men have crept in, verse 4, and who are twisting uh, the truth of God 
And he goes on in verse 5, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Verse 6, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Verse 7, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, so the author of James, or Jude, Jude, uh, he believes that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is sexual immorality in going after a strange flesh, that is, homosexual desires there. It's what Paul uh, talks about in the descent of man in Romans 1. Have, have they, as they give themselves over to the lust of their flesh, they, they give up the normal relations of man and woman, and they give themselves over, man and man, woman and woman, doing what is what is, uh, is, is disgusting in the sight of men, an abomination. All right, so the traditional view is that Sodom's sin was that the men of Sodom wanted to sodomize the two angelic messengers. So what are the other views? Well, alternate view number one is that Sodom's sin was a lack of hospitality. Yeah, I, I, you know, I know. <laughs> it, it, it sounds funny when you hear that, like a lack of hospitality. In defense of that, okay, the word carnally, remember, carnally is not there. It just says we want to know them. <laughs> now, where they get this is there's a verse in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Here the prophet says, Look, this was the iniquity of your sister, Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. So the, uh, the, the people who take to this alternate view, number one, was that this idea of uh, pride and, and, and uh, not strengthening the hand of the poor and the needy is, in a sense, showing a lack of hospitality. <laughs> yeah. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me, therefore I took them away as I saw fit. Right. Well, you know, if you're just looking at one verse, you, just, you don't have to look at the others, right? That's when you pull a verse out of context, right? Yeah. Um, so I suppose if you want to say sodomizing strangers is not showing them hospitality, I'll go along with that. Uh, I'll agree with that. That is definitely a lack of hospitality. View, I don't, I'm not sure which one I find more laughable between the two alternate views, view one or view two. Alternate view number two is that Sodom's sin was non-consensual. In other words, they wanted to rape the men. They didn't ask for their permission. No means no, I guess. I don't know. But the Bible, I think, is very clear. Um, the word there, to know them, it's the Hebrew word yada, which means to know, but is often a euphemism for sexual relations. 
chapter 4 of Genesis verse 1, Adam knew his wife. All right? It wasn't like he said, hi, Eve, I'm Adam, pleased to meet you. No, you know, uh, chapter 4 verse 17, Cain knew his wife. Chapter 4, verse 25, Adam again knew his wife Eve. So what, he reintroduced himself to her after, you know, oh, hi, it's been a while. I figured I'd reintroduce myself. No. To know is a euphemism for sexual relations. The Bible's quite clear, especially, again, especially given some of those modern translations I, that I, I read to you that literally says, have sex with them. They understand what the meaning of this phrase is. Why do I belabor this point? Because we all agree on the traditional view. I belabor this point because this is what you're going to see out there uh, in, in the world today. I also belabor this point to caution uh, because in our culture, at this, at this point in time, our point in history, there is a tendency within evangelicalism to see homosexuality as the unpardonable sin. Because, and the reason behind that is because the LGBT uh, agenda is, is forced upon us. What's that? The, the alphabet, the alphabet community. Yeah, but that agenda is, is it's not just seeking a voice in our culture it's thrusting itself upon us it is it is pushing itself upon us uh, it used to be we just want acceptance and now it's like no no we want you to accept us and everything so we in a sense react against that but it's not the unpardonable sin I mean 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11 where Paul speaks to the Corinthian church and he says you need to know this fornicators, idolaters, homosexuals, and he goes through a whole list of sins, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then he says in verse 11, but such were some of you. In other words, the Corinthian church had amongst their numbers former idolaters, former fornicators, former homosexuals, former this, former that, former other thing. So it's not the unpardonable sin, but we should not try to redefine what Genesis 19 is saying to us. Genesis 19 is clear what the men of Sodom were attempting to do here. All right, that's an aside. I'm back on, on track now. So the men come, and they say, bring out the men that we may know them carnally. Now Lot attempts to intercede, just like Abraham attempted to intercede for the cities when the men said, we're going to go down there and destroy the city. Lot attempts to go out there and intercede for them. So verse 6, he went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind them. And he says, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Lot, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> All right, let me just be on record here. There is no world, no situation, no scenario in which this is acceptable. Okay? We, Lot saying, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Again, there's that word, no, by the way. You know, what is, they never met a man before. No, they're married, right? They're at least betrothed. They've got sons-in-laws. Have at them. He says, here, take them, do to them what you will. 
Only do not harm these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. So Lot attempts to intercede. He fails. And, and really what this is saying here is that Lot, his witness to Sodom has been severely compromised. Right? Lot was one that came out with Abraham. He saw how God had brought Abraham to the promised land, how God had delivered, through Abraham, had delivered him from the hand of the foreign kings in chapter 14. Lot had separated himself from blessing, separated himself from the land of promise, separated himself from the sphere of blessing being with Abraham. And now he's in Sodom, and his witness has been completely compromised. We see that in verses 6 and 7. We see what he does in verse 8 is completely inexcusable. And that's what Peter says in 2 Peter, where you get the righteous lot comment, <laughs> which is interesting. But in 2 Peter, uh, Hebrews, James, then Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, there um, Peter says, In turning uh, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those uh, who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Second Peter reads in a lot of ways like Jude. There are similar themes going on here. But here, uh, Peter also brings up Sodom and Gomorrah and says how wicked they were and how they, their wickedness oppressed Lot. I mean, I would imagine Lot was probably scandalized by everything that was going on in there, yet his witness never amounted to much in that city to the point where the men would do anything that he said. When he goes out to intercede, even offering his daughters to them to be abused and, and raped, gang raped by a group of men, they say to him, stand back, verse 9. This one came to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. In other words, get out of our way. We're going to treat you worse than we're going to treat your two visitors. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. So the men mock Lot. All his attempts at compromise and appeasement, they fail. And they press in on Lot. And while he tried to intercede for the angels, the angels have to intercede for him. So the men, the angels, they reach out their hands and they pull Lot into the house and shut the door and then they strike the men with blindness at the door. And then you get this, this is sad. I mean, truly, this is sad. Both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Think about that. Here you've got this group of men, a large group of men of various ages from all over the city are banging down Lot's door. They're blind. Now they, they're, they're so enthralled by their sin that they're trying to find the door. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a gruesome, gruesome picture, image there. 
Now we know that in Genesis 6, God judged the sin of the world through the worldwide flood. And if you remember during that time when the flood was over, I said, it's not going to get any better from this point on. <laughs> you know, the, the fact that the sin was washed away, it's just going to take a little while before it begins to pile up again. You just need more people. And that's what Noah and his sons did. They produced more people, and then the sin just keeps coming, right? Sin has not gotten any better since the flood. Lot has totally compromised with the world. The closer he gets to Sodom, the farther away he was from Abraham in the place of blessing. Yet, God's grace is evident in that the angels who were sent to bring judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah also save righteous, quote-unquote, righteous Lot. Remember what Peter said, the Lord knows how to deliver those, his, the righteous ones, out of judgment and to reserve judgment for the wicked. So that's Sodom's sin. Let's look at Sodom's fate. Verses 12 and following. So the angels get about doing what they came to do. But for the sake of Abraham, if you remember again, Abraham, verses 22 to 25, begins to intercede for the city. The angels warn Lot to save his family. It's almost like what God says or what the Lord says to Noah when the flood's about to come. And he says to Noah, get in the ark. Judgment's coming. Well, the angels here in verse uh, 12, they say to Lot, get your family out of here. Get your sons-in-law, your daughters, your sons, whoever you have in the city. Take them out of this place, verse 13. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. The sin of Sodom has come to God's attention. Again, this is the language of accommodation for us that we sort of get an idea of what is going on here. God knows what's going on. God is omniscient. He doesn't need to see. He doesn't have eyes to see. But this idea is so that we get an idea, a picture of what's going on here. The sin of Sodom is so great that it is sort of taken up front and center stage of God's vision. He sees their sin. He sends the angels to bring judgment. So they come and they come to see and they have seen up close and personal. Now they're about to execute the judgment. We are going to destroy this place. Now the depths of Lot's compromise and ineffectiveness of his witness are highlighted yet again in verse 14. So Lot goes to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up! Get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city! But to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking. Now, we don't know this for certain, but the Bible doesn't mention it specifically. It doesn't say whether Lot was married. Presumably he goes to Sodom, a single man, with his servants and such. So he marries a Sodomite woman. So he has Sodom, half-Sodomite daughters who then are betrothed and married to Sodomite men. So again, you have Lot's ineffective witness in the city. He warns his sons-in-law about the judgment to come, and they're just like, Get away from me, you crazy old man. Stop talking crazy talk. What are you talking about? You've got to be joking. 
No, I mean, it doesn't even move the needle. His, his urgent warnings to his sons-in-law, people living in his home, doesn't even move the needle. So the angels again urge Lot to make haste. Okay, it's like, forget your sons-in-law. Just take your wives and your daughters. Get out of the city. And in verse 16, and while he lingered, while he lingered, <laughs> the angels urge Lot to make haste, but Lot lingers. The word there, to tarry, to wait, to delay. The lure of sin. Lot had become so compromised at this point. Righteous, okay. Because the Bible says so, we've got to call him righteous Lot. He is so compromised at this point. He is so enthralled by the lure of sin that he lingers. It's like, I am coming, but... <sighs> but, but my things. It's like, but what... Uh, the Lord is merciful, though. The, the angels literally drag him out. They just grab him. Come out! <laughs> Come out! They drag Lot and his wife and his daughters, kicking and screaming, I, I imagine, out of the city. Now, what a beautiful picture of salvation. <laughs> what a beautiful picture of salvation. How are any of us saved? By the mercy of God, right? dragged kicking and screaming some of us out of our sin into a relationship with Christ. Again, I think about, I mentioned this in the sermon this morning, I, I mentioned that ad, he saves us. The, it's not really an ad, it was just sort of somebody's project that they made in um, to sort of correct the he gets us ad. And again, all of these there were before and afters of all these people, a witch, a drug addict, an atheist, uh, you know, a, a lesbian activist, a prostitute. One of them, yeah, one of them was a prostitute. One of them was an abortion doctor. You know, all these people were dragged, kicking and screaming, out of danger, out of sin and evil, and brought into the kingdom. We're all brought. Now, you know, maybe... By God's grace, you were, don't really know a day in which you never you know, didn't believe. In, but still, at some point, God still had to drag you <laughs> out of sin and darkness. Now, that may have been a gentle nudge. It may have been like with Lot, grabbing him by the collar and literally dragging him out of danger. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is merciful. So the angels warn Lot, flee, escape to the hills. Do not look back. Escape to the mountains, verse 17. All right, let me pause again. <laughs> he knows they're angels, or at least he knows they're special, right? Uh, he, he's been saved from the crowd of the city. He's been dragged out of his house. And then the, the people, the very people who have said numerous times, we are going to bring judgment on the city, Flee, go to the mountains. And Lot here is arguing about the escape route. How about the city? Can I go? How about the city over here? Can I go to this city? For crying out loud, Lot, stop 
arguing about the route you take to salvation. Go where the angels tell you. But even then, the angels show him a little bit of grace. And they say, okay, you can go to the city. But go now. Go now. Because we cannot destroy these cities until you arrive there. So the angels relent. Lot escapes. And eventually God's judgment rains down. You see that in verse 24. The Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. A lot of times people like to make comparisons between Sodom and Gomorrah and um, uh, the city of Pompeii that was destroyed in 180, 179 AD, somewhere around there, from the Mount Vesuvius. This was not a natural thing. Where, where does the fire and brimstone come out? It comes out of the heavens, right? From the heavens. There's, there's, this is a plain. This is a plain in the Middle East. There's no volcanoes. There's, this is a supernatural judgment. There, don't try to explain away by natural means what the Word of God says was a supernatural judgment. The Lord rained fire and brimstone out of the heavens from the Lord. This was a judgment. And it says, upon the cities of the plain. Uh, if you're curious, Deuteronomy 29 to 23, uh, 29 verse 23 gives you the names of the cities that were destroyed. And I like the language here in verse 25 where it says, he overthrew them. That's conquering language, right? He overthrew them. God conquered over the sin of Sodom by raining down his judgment upon them and overthrew the cities. But you have this instance here. Lot's wife, she looks back and she becomes a pillar of salt. That seems harsh. Well, but what is she looking back for, right? What, what is the idea of looking back? She's lured, again, by her love of sin, by her love of the city, by her love of the lifestyle. She turns back. It's like what the Israelites did for 40 years in the wilderness, looking back at Egypt. Oh, good old days. You remember when we had three hots and a cot? And slavery... Oh, yeah, but the leeks and the... Un- and slavery! <laughs> oh, yeah, but you had to make your own bricks! Yeah, okay, yeah, but... Oh, the good old... No. Every time they complained about longing for Egypt, it, it roused the Lord to anger. Right? A couple times it brought some judgment upon the people. Here, Lot's wife shows a love for the world, a love for the world. And she has turned to a pillar of salt. First John 2.15 talks about this, right? Do not love the world or the things in the world. You know, the, 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 the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those things are anathema to God. You cannot love God and love the world. Now, by loving the world, I don't mean... I like living in the world. I like the people of the world. I, no, no, no. The world here, John is using as a as a placeholder for the 
the, the world system, the, the fallen nature of the world, the, the sin that is in the world, the, the corruptness of the world system. Do not love sin. So she is judged for her going back. She is brought out and then she longs for the sin of Sodom and she herself is judged. And then Abraham in verses 27 through 29, he kind of surveys the wreckage <laughs> the next morning. He went up early in the morning to the place where he had stood before. Now this is where just a day or so ago he was negotiating with the Lord for uh, the, the you know, interceding for, for Sodom. And he looked over there and he saw the cities of plain. Now he just looks and all he sees is a, you know, fire and smoke rising to the heavens. He looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw, behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. There's imagery in Revelation that talks about this, right? You know, the smoke of their judgment rises eternally before God. It's like a smoke of a sacrifice offering in a sense too. Verse 29, it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered. Again, whenever you see that word, particularly in the Old Testament, that's God remembering a covenant that he made. He remembered Noah. He remembers Abraham. And because of God's covenant with Abraham, he spares Lot. Sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Now, Lot's compromise, of course, is a lesson for all of us, right? 1 Corinthians 10.6, Paul's there says, the things of the Old Testament were written for our benefit, right? When he's, he's talking to the Corinthians about how uh, they were brought, you know, that the, you know, the Egyptians were baptized in Moses and brought through the Red Sea and so on and so forth. And he says, these things are written for your sake as well. They're, they're instructive for you. This lesson here that we see, what we see, the story of Lot, his life is, is a lesson for us. What was like, what is Lot's lesson? Well, he compromised. What did he do? He separated himself from God's people. He separated himself from the home of Abraham with whom God made a covenant, with whom God said, through you the nations of the earth will be blessed. He desired the world. When given a choice to stay in the land of promise or, or to, to see the, the pleasure of the eyes, the temptation of the eyes, to walk by sight and not by faith, he took the, 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 the more sinful approach. He did not take the, the path of faith. He became unequally yoked. He married a sodomite woman, 2 Corinthians 6. 4. He became worldly is what happened to Lot. Again, the Bible still calls him righteous Lot, which goes to show that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works, right? Lot can't boast. Lot is going to be up there in heaven, and we're going to, he's going to say, yeah, man, I screwed up big time. But boy, was I saved by grace through faith. Boy, was I saved by grace through faith. I, my life was a mess. That's what he would say. We are saved by grace through faith. Okay, I'm not going to take too much time on the remaining eight verses, the aftermath. 
because it's a it's just a it's a more sordid affair it's just it gets grosser okay it's just getting grosser and grosser but here you have the aftermath uh, so you have here verse 30 then lot went up to uh, out of zoar and dwelt in the mountain now he had said let me go to the city because i don't want to live in the mountain and then when he gets to the city he's like oh wow this is scary i'm going to the mountains so he goes to the mountain because he was afraid to dwell in zoar and his two daughters dwelt in a cave so he's in a cave and then the daughters speak to each other and they say our father is old by that they mean he's old he's lost everything what are our prospects of getting a husband they they look at it and say slim and none and slim has just packed up his suitcase and is getting ready to leave town so they say well we need to preserve our father's lineage so they have a wonderful plan right god's got a wonderful plan for your life no this is not god's plan for their lives so they get this idea to get their father drunk and to lay with them and to have children. So they, they, you've got incest here. You've got drunkenness here. I mean, it's like the sin of Noah all over again, but in this case through these two girls and, and they have incest with them. And eventually they give birth to sons. Uh, Moab, which literally means of the father or of my father. And Ben-Ami means son of my people. And it says here that Moab is the father of the Ammon uh, Moabites, and Ben-Ami is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Now, if you know anything about these two groups of people, they are enemies of God's people. They are people who become thorns in the sides of the Israelites, just like Abraham, right? Abraham, chapter 16, he sleeps with Hagar, another plan another great plan for your life he sleeps with hagar and produces ishmael ishmael produces what becomes the arab peoples of this day so you've got these fleshly plans plans of the world worldly idea this is how we we solve things in the world and you get you just create more problems now again god shows grace in all these things who's ruth She's a Moabitess, right? So even through this great wicked sin, God still exercises grace through this. He exercises grace through bringing Ruth into the line. And she's not just, she's not just brought into the people. She is in the line of Christ himself. You look at that lineage of Christ, that genealogy of Christ, and it's, it's, a, it's a list of, it's a rogues gallery of, of sinful people. Abraham, yeah, but he sinned. David, yeah, he sinned. Isaac, Jacob, you know, all the kings of Israel after Solomon. It's a rogues gallery. But here you have, again, this, this situation of sin and more compromise and Lot just has no clue what's going on. He has no control over his half sodomite daughters and they conspire to commit incest and then they produce people who become enemies of the people of Israel. So like the flood, the judgment of Sodom is a picture of final judgment. I want to turn to Luke chapter 17. 
We're almost done, so bear with me. Luke chapter 17. Now I want to look at verses 20 through 37. So Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 20, Jesus uh, says, Now when he, Jesus, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here, or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he was on the housetop and his, uh, and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So watch the signs. The reason I read this is because Jesus here himself, when he's talking about the judgment to come, when he returns, the day of the Son of Man, he said it's going to be like when it was in the days of Noah, and it's going to be like it was in the days of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. And what does he mean by that? It's going to come when you least expect it right? They were eating, drinking, buying, selling, building, planting, so on and so forth, and then Lot leaves the city, and down comes the fire and the brimstone, or, you know, they were marrying and giving in marriage, and feasting, and doing, and so forth, and then Noah gets on the ark, and all of a sudden, here comes the rains, and everything starts falling. Judgment comes, and when it comes, no one will expect it, and it will be severe. Do you think the people of Sodom knew what was happening? Lot's son-in-laws thought Lot was joking. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And like Lot, we can become worldly and our witness can become compromised. That's why Jesus, when he prays for his people, he says, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but I pray that you keep them from the world. We are supposed to be in the world, not of the world. We are salt and light in this world, but what happens when the salt loses its saltiness? It's no good. 
it's, it's only uses to be ground up and tossed in the ground. That's why the communion of the saints is so vital. That's why church is so vital. And I don't just say this because I get paid to say it. I say this because church is vital for the life of a Christian. You can't do this thing on your own. Christianity is not a solo sport. It's not something you can just say, me and my Bible, I'm going to go off in my log cabin and I'll be fine. No. You need the communion of the saints. You need the, to not only share your gifts with one another, but you need to be in a community that will love you, that will correct you, that will rebuke you, that will encourage you. You need all of these things. The communion of the saints is vital. And that's what Lot didn't do, right? He left Abraham. He left the place of blessing. He went to what looked good. He followed the lure of the world. And then when Lot's wife was taken out, she was so drawn by the lure of the world that she turned back and judgment came upon her. And that's what Jesus warns. us: like, don't look back. Remember Lot's wife. <laughs> you know, remember Lot's wife. What's the take home for this? Well, today is the day of salvation. Right? Lot hasn't left Sodom yet. Noah hasn't gotten into the ark yet. Today is the day of salvation. That's why Paul, in Romans 2, when he's laying, literally and figuratively, laying down the law in Romans 2, he's, in Romans 1, he has talked about the sin of wicked people. And then he turns to someone else and says, you are not without excuse as well, you who think you're keeping the law, you who judge these other people in Romans 1. And he says in chapter 2, verse 4, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Now, if Lot were kind of doing his job, right, and being some kind of witness to the people in Sodom, then you could say, well, you know, God's forbearance is giving them a chance to repent. It's giving them a chance to repent. In fact, that's what Jesus says to the people of his own day. You know, he says, if, if the people of Sodom saw a fraction of the signs that you saw, they would have repented. But now they're going to stand up in the day of judgment and judge this age. That's what Jesus says to the people that he's talking to. But today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to repent. Do not think that because judgment isn't coming down upon our heads, that it does, it's never going to come. It's just being stored up. That's what Paul says in Romans 2. That wrath is being stored up like a, you know, a great amount of water behind a dam that's getting ready to burst. Today is the day of salvation. The author of Hebrews says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as the people did in the wilderness. Peter says in his second letter that do not think that just because the day of the Lord hasn't come, that it's not going to come. It says the, the Lord is patient, but judgment is coming. But the good news is that Jesus is the ark, right? Just as he was, you know, just as Noah came into the ark and was saved, Jesus is the ark for us, right? Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Jesus is the one who, like the angels, drags us out of the way of judgment. Jesus saves us from the wrath to come. Judgment is coming, but God will save all those who are his in Christ. 
by faith. I'll stop here. I'm at time. Probably a little past time.